sometimes controversial, always politically incorrect, and pro-life without exception, without compromise, and without apology. It's the Pro-Life America podcast with your hosts, Sarah Waits and the president of Life Dynamics, Mark Crutcher. Hey guys, welcome to the show for this week. As you heard, I'm Mark Crutcher and... I'm Sarah Waits. Lurking nearby. Not lurking. You're lurking. No. You're going to have to find something new for each week because... No, I think lurking nearby is kind of a catchphrase for us. It kind of identifies and people at home say, yeah, I can kind of visualize her lurking nearby like an alligator lurks in a, in a, <laughs> in a river. You think there's a lot of people who are, are picturing me right now lurking like an alligator? Yeah. And they can see that? Yeah, I think, okay. they, I think they are. I think that says more about you than I think, about I think that's exactly <laughs> what they do. You know, it's interesting. I don't know how many people out there watch this show about Game Wardens in Texas, Lone Star Law, or whatever they, it's around the it's country. It's one of your favorite shows, one of your really Golden like Six shows. Right. <laughs> you have I like really six like you it. watch. But you know, there's a common theme on there, and that is... Don't break the law? No. <laughs> there's a lot of alligators in Texas. Normally, when you associate a state with alligators, you, you think, think Louisiana. Louisiana. Yeah. But I wonder if people at home watch that and think that in every city in Texas, there's alligators roaming up and down the streets, you know... There was a show the other day, they had an alligator on there that was 14 feet long and weighed 1,000 pounds. That's a full-growed alligator. What is the definition of growed there? But um, they are everywhere. I mean, but the cities aren't teeming with them. No. Some southeast parts of Texas, down by Orange, Texas, there's a lot of alligators. But they're finding them all over the state now. It's not uncommon. I sent Tulane an article about Cuban tree frogs and how they've been in Florida for a while, about maybe 10 or 15 years. But they've hitched a ride, and they're <laughs> now in Louisiana. And apparently they're pretty headed invasive. Headed toward Texas. And they're headed toward Texas. <laughs> and they're pretty invasive. They'll actually be a threat to native species who will die out for various reasons. But they're known to cause plumbing problems and get in your toilet. And so in the article, there's a picture of a Cuban tree frog in someone's toilet. And Tulane was like, ah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I don't no. want to do that. I don't want to lift up my toilet seat and find a frog. Or it's better to do it that way than sit down yeah. and the frog jumps up and <laughs> grabs you on the rear end or something. You, you <laughs> jump across the bathroom. <laughs> Hashtag Texas problems. <laughs> right. All right. Anyway, the abortion lobby is regurgitating a strategy that they've used in the past with very little success. Mm-hmm. And that is, as we get more and more women coming forward, mm-hmm. talking about how having an abortion was the worst mistake they ever made in their life. And I heard a woman the other day who was pregnant through rape. And I've heard this story many, many times over the almost 40 years that I've been doing this. But she got raped, mm-hmm. and she said the everybody talks about this being a choice. She said, I didn't feel like I had any choice. Everybody just assumed. Yeah, every abortion testimony that I've read didn't seem like women felt like they had a choice. No, it's just assumed you're going to have an abortion. And she did, and she says, ever since then, the abortion has haunted me more than the rape did, mm-hmm. or that the rape has. And so the abortion lobby's response to this now is to start trotting out people who say, oh, I don't regret my abortion. It was the greatest thing. And we had that, what's her name, uh, Phillips. Oh, Busy Phillips. Yeah. People need to go online and see that. She says she's okay, but nothing else gives off the vibe that she's okay. She's ranting 
about her abortion. She's not ranting. She's screaming. She's screaming. She's screaming. Right. And that's one of those things. It's like your words say one thing and your body language says, says another something thing. totally different. Your demeanor says something totally different. I want to encourage people to go to YouTube and see that Busy Phillips. Yeah, I'll put the link in the description. <laughs> okay, because it's real revealing. But now we have this actress named Amy Renneman. I've never heard of her, but I'm not big into following actors. Is that the picture of her? Yeah. She used to be on a show, uh, one of the medical shows. I can't think of the name. Anyway. She's a television actress. Anyway, they've trotted her out, and she says, I have never, not once, regretted aborting my baby. Mm-hmm. Regretted her abortion. So that's supposed to make a statement that if you do something and you don't regret it, then it was okay. Right? That's mm-hmm. the implication here that the abortion industry is putting out there. But let's make a point. The lack of regret for something you did mm-hmm. relates to the conscience and the character of the person who did it, mm-hmm. not to the rightness of the act itself. I'm sure you go to prison and you find people on death row or just sitting in prison for doing something like rape or murder, right. and they may not regret it. Right. Does that all of a sudden mean that their actions were okay because they didn't regret it? They regret getting caught. Yeah, well, that's different entirely than right. regretting the act. But they don't regret the act itself. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, very young kid, I think you know, I was 12 when it happened, Adolf Eichmann, mm-hmm. one of the Nazi thugs that the Jewish people were chasing all over the world, they finally caught him somewhere in South America and took him back to Israel and tried him mm-hmm. for crimes against humanity. Mm-hmm. And um, they hung him. Adolf Eichmann was hung. There was a number of the upper echelon of the Nazi party who went through the Nuremberg trials who right. didn't regret what they did. And Eichmann, right before he was executed, said, I don't regret a thing I did. What I was doing was right. So well, does that mean that their actions were ripe simply because they didn't regret not. it? Well, in a more modern application of this, let's say some pervert rapes and murders a little five-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. And then he claims not to regret it. He has no remorse about it. Does that make what he did right? No, absolutely not. Well, that same standard applies here. Just because you did something that you don't regret doesn't mean that it was a correct thing to do. Mm -hmm. And if we really want to see the role that regret plays in the abortion issue, I propose that we do a nationwide survey, maybe Mm government-sponsored or whatever, and we survey women who had unplanned pregnancies in their past and look at how they dealt with it. And let's ask all the women that we survey who had abortions— if they now wish they'd given birth, and ask all those women who gave birth if they now wish they'd had abortions, mm-hmm. what do you think the response would be? I'm going to tell you right now. You'd find hundreds of thousands of women who had abortions who say they regret it and wish now they had given birth. You'd find maybe a handful, mm-hmm. if you find any, yeah, a handful of women who say, well, I gave birth at the time. I wish now I'd had an abortion. Yeah. And again, that goes back to speaking to the character of the person. The character and the conscience and the morality mm-hmm. of the person who did the act. And I would also point out that there are something like 3,300 crisis pregnancy centers in America. Mm-hmm. And almost every one of them is associated with some group that does post-abortion counseling. Yeah. It could be Project Rachel or it could be... Mm-hmm. Th- there's a lot of different ones. And these things are very well attended. Yes. I have never heard of one single support group for women who gave birth. And then regretted it. And then regretted it. I've never heard of one single support group for them. Mm -hmm. So why is that? And what we know is if a woman is going to be traumatized by the decision she made regarding an unplanned pregnancy, Mm -hmm. it's going to be the women who have abortions 
and not the women who don't have abortions. Yeah. You never see that happen. You'll hear a lot of stories out of Hollywood. They try to push this narrative, like the I had an abortion t-shirts. They try to make it, pose it as something that's empowering and beneficial to women. But even some Hollywood celebrities who have spoken out about abortion don't have positive things to say about it. A good prominent example of this that kind of sticks out in my mind is Sharon Osbourne. And she told the Daily Mail during an interview. This is Ozzy Osbourne's wife. Mm -hmm, Yeah. Right. I had an abortion at 17, and it was the worst thing I ever did. It was two months gone when I realized. I went to my mom, and she said, without pausing for breath, you have to get rid of it. She told me where the clinic was, then virtually pushed me off. She was so angry. She said, I'd gotten myself into this mess. Now she had to get me out. But she didn't come. I went alone. I was terrified. It was full of other young girls, and we were all terrified and looking at each other, and nobody was saying a word. I held my way through it, and it was horrible. I would never recommend it to anyone because it comes back to haunt you. When I tried to have children, I lost three. I think it was because something had happened to my cervix during the abortion. After three miscarriages, they had to put a stitch in it. In life, whatever it is, you pay somewhere down the line. You have to be accountable. Right. Another one, Steven Tyler, because men are talking about their abortion testimonies. In the autobiography that they did about Aerosmith called Walk This Way, they did interviews with not just the band members, but friends and family as well. Tyler spoke out about the abortion that a girlfriend of his had had and said, it was a big crisis. It's a major thing when you're growing something with a woman, but they convinced us that it would never work out and it would ruin our lives. You go to the doctor and they put the needle in her belly and they squeeze the stuff in and you watch and it comes out dead. I was pretty devastated. In my mind, I'm going, what have I done? Right. And his longtime friend that the article says convinced him to get the abortion because saying that it was the only way said, so they had the abortion and it really messed Stephen up because it was a boy. He saw the whole thing and it messed him up big time. Well, if you want to use those kind of examples, I would suggest people go back and look at Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Now, this was one of the hottest groups back in the 1980s during the grunge rock thing. Kurt Corbain was, was called the poet of his generation, which is nonsense, <laughs> but nonetheless, yeah. he was the lead singer for them. And they had an album, which is really, really revealing if you look at it, called In Utero. Mm-hmm. And it's got all these images of unborn babies on it and born babies. And it's really kind of eerie to look at. And Kurt Corbain committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And he had all these references to unborn babies. And I always wonder, especially given the girl that he was married to, Mm -hmm. did abortion play a role in his suicide? Maybe. When you got a rock star doing albums called In Utero, Mm -hmm. with all these pictures and these images and some of the lyrics and so forth that they were doing, it does make you wonder about that. Um, Yeah. A good example of this, and it's not even an abortion testimony, Kanye West, when he was running for president at one of his stops, He revealed that him and his then-girlfriend, later wife, Kim Kardashian, had talked about aborting their child. He broke down and cried and said, I almost killed my daughter. And he said, she called him screaming and crying, saying, I'm pregnant. She said she was pregnant, and for one month, two months, three months, we talked about her not having this child. She had the pills in her hand talking about chemical abortion. Right. He says, the screen went black and white, and God said, if you F with my vision, I'm going to F with yours. And I called my wife, and she said, we're going to have this baby, and I said, we're going to have this child. He says, even if my wife were to divorce me after the speech, you know, revealing this to the world, she brought North into this world. And they didn't even have an abortion, but later on he realized what could have happened. Oh, I have talked to women on our 800 line in the past Mm -hmm. who wanted to know how to deal with the fact 
that they had a baby. They gave birth to their baby, but she was racked with guilt. And I talked to a bunch of these women who were racked with guilt because they considered. Yeah. They look at their baby and they say, I was going to kill that baby. Mm-hmm. You know, again, let's go back and take that national poll. Yeah. And see how many went, what the ratio is between women who had abortions and regret it and women who gave birth and regret it. Mm-hmm. And now let's have the abortion industry come out and talk about that. And what are they doing for those women that they injured? Yeah. Well, they don't do anything. In yeah. fact, they write those women off. Right. And they're pushing women in the clinics, out the doors. And whenever they have problems, it's like, well, there's a crisis pregnancy center. We don't handle that part for you. Our job is done. We've collected right. the money. <clears throat> and it just continues to hurt women. And if they suffer from pain, well, it's, well, you have some sort of other underlying thing. Right. Even the psychological association, the people who actually monitor mental health and diagnose mental health were saying, oh, well, there's no PTSD that can result from abortion. There's no after effects from that. If you're having some sort of issues, it's from something else. And it is so condescending to women. And not only that, but it hurts them. I have heard years ago and even now on social media and online, they will characterize women who claim that they were traumatized by their abortion as Mm -hmm. being mentally unstable. Yeah. And, you know, it's really easy to do that Mm -hmm. when you're looking at it from a distance. But let's think about this for a minute. I think one of the great ironies of this is that women who are traumatized by their abortions are the ones who are mentally stable. I mean, do we now have a nation full of women whose maternal instincts are so bad that they can pay some godless goon at Planned Parenthood Mm -hmm. to murder their baby, and then they have no regret about it? Mm -hmm. Those are the women who have mental health problems. Yeah. If you're going to kill your baby, I think having regret about it is the natural, normal response to that. Mm-hmm. I think anybody would tell you that it is. Yeah. Not this, oh, yeah, I, you know, I killed my baby. you got to be a sociopath or a psychopath to take that position. Well, we've and, seen news stories where the children of what appears at first to be an accident, but it turns out to be either mm-hmm. negligence or they were killed. And when the mother has no reaction, no remorse, nothing— it sends a chill up your spine. Well, we've got a That's current. That's not normal. We've got a current example of that. Mm-hmm. Just in the last few days, a woman in, I think, Middleton, Ohio, they don't tell why, but she wants to get rid of her six-year-old boy. She's got a little six-year-old kid, cute little kid. You saw the pictures of him. She took him to a parking lot and was just going to throw him out of the car and leave mm-hmm. him and take off. Well, this little boy, of course, is very upset. As a kid would be. It's traumatizing. As any kid would be. He's trying to get back in the car. Mm -hmm. She runs over and kills him. Now, she leaves him in the parking lot, and she goes home and then gets to worrying about this and goes back like 30 minutes later. He's still laying in the parking lot dead. Not not worried about the fact that he's dead. Worried about the fact that she might get caught. Right. So she goes back with this boyfriend of hers, and they get this little boy, and they take him home and keep him at their home all night, and then in the middle of the night or in the next morning, they take him and dump him in a river to get rid of him. And they got caught. And the most amazing thing is the law enforcement people there are saying she's been charged with murder and mm-hmm. abuse of a corpse and something else. The law enforcement there are saying that she has absolutely no remorse about this. She's totally unremorseful about it. Now, I think most people would look at that and say, that woman is sick. Mm-hmm. Totally sick. Yeah. Now, if you have an abortion and either 
you knew it at the time that it was a baby you were killing, or later on you became convinced of it. Wouldn't the natural response then be to have remorse? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. For the abortion industry to trot these women out here like this, what did I say her name was, uh, Amy Brenneman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. To trot her out here and say, oh, I killed my, she killed her baby, but she has an absolutely no regret about it, and posit her as the sane one mm-hmm. and the mentally healthy one. This is utter nonsense. Well, and women after their abortions who are suffering from what they have done, a number of times will put up this mental protection and they'll kind of bury it and they'll think that they're fine and they'll feel fine. And then something out of the blue later on can trigger it. And all of a sudden it just hits them like a freight train. All those emotions and feelings that they've been repressing. There was an article that I sent you. I don't know if you got to read it or not. Yeah, I did read it. It's a story I've heard a million times. Mm -hmm. It's called, What Have I Done? Finding Healing After My Abortion. It's by Ramona Stumpf. And basically, she got pregnant with a long-term boyfriend shortly after graduating college. She was working for a little local newspaper. And she says, I'd been using birth control, so I was shocked, scared, and secretly a little delighted to think that my family fantasy could be a reality. I remember being embarrassed that this happened, ashamed that I'd failed to prevent my pregnancy, but I also remember wanting the baby and hoped desperately that my boyfriend would be surprised and happy. Well, what do you think happened? I'll give you two guesses. He might have been surprised. Uh, He was surprised, but he was not happy. He was angry and upset. She said he revealed that he was cheating on me, but that he would leave the other woman and choose me if I had the abortion. What a keeper. Right, right. (laughs) This is the guy you want. If that was me, I'd be like, don't let the door hit you on the butt on the way out. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, but that's right. She said, my dreams crumbled as it became clear that I'd be on my own if I chose to have the baby. So she was getting no support from the boyfriend, no support from her mother, and she felt like her employers would fire her because she lived in a conservative community, and so she was afraid of what they would say. So she decided that she was going to have the abortion. But she said, at the pre-abortion appointment, I expected to get information to help me make my choice. I expected someone to ask me, is this really what you want? But the appointment was brief, cold, and impersonal. There was no choice offered. Because if they give these women a choice and they talk to them, they know know what's going to happen. A bunch of women are going to choose no, and they lose money. Right. A nurse, or maybe she was just a woman on staff, sat with me in an exam room and told me I would be awake for the procedure, how the area around the cervix would be numbed, and that a machine would be used to remove the, quote, quote, products of conception. I asked her if I could wait a few weeks to think it over some more, and she physically recoiled, disproving. The longer you wait, the more difficult the procedure becomes, she scolded me. If you wait too long, we have to send you to another clinic. So again, about money, how dare you question it. And then then go for the clothes. Yeah, And she says, never in the appointment did she explain the fetal development stages. I was never offered an ultrasound, and there was very much a sense that I would be foolish to consider any other course of action. And the next thing she says is something that I hear a lot when I hear abortion testimony. It seemed to me that if it was the wrong choice, something would happen to stop it. I prayed to God that my appointment would be canceled, the machine would break, my boyfriend would change his mind, anything. But none of these things happened. Well, you know, I wrote about this in some articles in the past. Mm -hmm. Of the women that we used to talk to on the malpractice cases on the phone, mm-hmm. I don't know what the percentage is. I wish we had kept it at the time. Mm-hmm. The high number of women who say when they were sitting in the abortion clinic in mm-hmm. the waiting room, yeah, they were just praying that something would happen. Or somebody would say something. Somebody would walk in 
and say, you don't have to do this, or something would happen or that would I keep can, them from or going I will through help with this. You. Right. A lot of these women feel so alone. You know, it's one thing to say that, oh, it's a baby and everything, but it's another thing to say, you can do this and we will help you. Your life right. is not over. Right. Yeah. And those women are set up mm-hmm. for regret. Yeah. And this whole argument that the abortion industry uses, if they were intellectually honest, which they obviously aren't, Mm -hmm. the the abortion industry and the abortion lobby, people who defend abortion, the pro-choice community, is populated by psychopaths. So they can't be honest, and they're not going to be honest. But if they were honest, they would come out here and say, yes, this is a difficult decision, and a lot of women will change their mind later or have regrets about it later, and we're going to help those women. Instead of saying, women don't regret this, and here's all these happy face stories, like the Busy Phillips thing. It just shows that they don't care about women. It's not. Right. It was never about caring for women. It's always been about money. They're liars. End of story. Yeah. In this testimony, she said after the abortion, she felt a mixture of relief, sadness, despair, and numbness. Numbness is a common right. thing that we see with women who have had abortions. She said, I moved on with my life, but with a hardened heart. I dumped my boyfriend. Good for you, girl. I couldn't forgive him for abandoning me to deal with the abortion by myself. I defended the decision to myself and promoted abortion to my friends as a smart option when faced with an unplanned pregnancy. So again, this is her trying to defend her actions and protect herself mentally. Right. Fast forward to four years later, she's married. And she says she went to the doctor and found out that she was, in fact, pregnant. She said, we were rejoiced when the test came back positive, and the doctor told me I was 10 weeks along. We were so happy, my husband, my doctor, and I, until the doctor said, hey, we could try to hear a heartbeat today. Suddenly, my world tilted sideways. I don't think I breathed, and while I pasted a smile on my face and consented, inside I was screaming and frozen. The first baby, the one that I had boarded, was at least 12 weeks along. I remember the rest of the appointment like it was a dream in slow motion. And she talks about hearing the baby's heartbeat. And she said, there's no joy, only horror in my mind. I was awakened to the truth that once I'd allowed someone to open up my cervix and scrape out my baby into a canister, probably filled with the parts of other babies. It was a baby, not a lump. It had a heartbeat. Even if I'd never allowed myself to hear it, it was a living being up to the moment of the abortion, but there was no going back. Of course, she said, this began a dark journey for me. I rejoiced in the pregnancy and birth of my son, but always felt the shadow of that other child in my mind. Yep. The even sadder part about this is she wound up confessing to a few of her friends and her husband what had happened, and they basically told her just to get over it. She was yeah, being too on. emotional. Right. right. She went to her pastor. Her pastor was clearly pro-choice and told her to move on and not be filled with condemnation. Right. When she found an ad for a crisis pregnancy center that was doing a support group, her pastor warned her, said, those places will just make you feel bad about what you did. <laughs> I already feel bad. She right. already feels bad. But she went anyway, and she got healing. The other thing that in this story that I found was interesting is it's something that we've talked about before. She knew the general due date of the baby that she aborted. Right. She said, the due date of that first baby was in mid-March, and as that time had approached every year, I would withdraw and feel depressed and regretful. The feelings intensified. Sometimes when I was alone and nursing my infant son, I would weep at the thought of what I had missed and what I had done. You've yeah. talked about this before. Anniversary reactions. And mm-hmm. we have seen, there's been some high profile cases of that. But yep. just for a moment, that so-called pastor that she went to, there's yeah. a hot place in hell waiting on him. Mm-hmm. This boy better repent. He better straighten up. You know, I'm always reminded of, even though I'm not Catholic, I've read a lot of Catholic uh materials. And one of the things, I think this guy's name was Christendom, mm-hmm. who said the floor of hell will be paved with the skulls of bishops. 
And this guy right here, he may not be a bishop in the Catholic Church, but that's the point. Yeah. His skull would be paving the floor of hell. And he was more than willing to let this woman suffer with this for the rest of her life. Mm-hmm. For the rest of her life. And well, what if some one of the pastor's parishioners or their members comes to them and says, I'm pregnant. I don't know what to do. You know what that pastor is going to sure. advocate for. We've seen it a million times. Yeah. But anyway... What you're referring to there, this woman's story is one that that I have heard over and over again, too, is a lot of women who have abortions have a very difficult time bonding with future children. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, I've had some of them tell me, I didn't feel like I deserved this child. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you hear these people talk about how having the baby of a rapist, looking at the baby will remind you of the rapist. Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you something, whether that's true or not. Looking at your baby when you aborted a previous one mm-hmm. will remind you of the previous baby. Well, and a number of times, women who have had abortions will talk about miscarriages and later pregnancies. Right. Now, sometimes that could be attributed to stress, but one thing you can't deny is that abortions cause scarring in the right. uterus, Oh yeah. which makes a woman more prone to having miscarriages. Well, there's Asherman syndrome and, mm-hmm. uh, and all kinds of other things that can be caused by abortion. Placenta yeah. previa is one yeah. of the biggest ones. For people who don't know, tell them what placenta previa is. Well, placenta previa is where you have scarring of mm-hmm. the uterine wall, mm-hmm. and a fertilized ovum will not attach to scar tissue. Yeah. So it bounces around the the uterus, uterus looking for a clean place, place to, attach. To, yeah. to attach. One of the problems that you have is that the instrumentation that's used, like a curette mm-hmm. in an abortion, causes scar tissue on the wall of the uterus. Yeah. And so if you can imagine uh, uterus being like a balloon, and then the mouth of the balloon is the cervix, the instrument goes in through the cervix and scrapes the uterine wall. Mm-hmm. Well, the place where it's not going to scrape is right by the opening, mm-hmm. right? Right mm-hmm. by the cervix. What happens is if that fertilized egg mm-hmm. attaches right next to the cervical opening, the placenta grows over the cervical opening, and then you, mm. you can't give birth, and she'll hemorrhage. And, and, you know, many, many years ago, it was not uncommon for women to die giving birth. Placenta previa was one of the main reasons for that. And having a, an elective abortion increases the chances that you'll have placenta previa in a future pregnancy. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it for a minute, when these people dismiss, and I say these people, I mean the pro-choice people, this pastor, for example, mm-hmm. uh, these people that talk about there's no regret, what they're really saying to women is, oh, your concerns aren't that important. If you were a man, mm-hmm. we would take you more seriously. But you're just emotional, and you're flighty, and you're not thinking clearly. Or you have some other issues. It was nothing to do with the abortion. It's just you have issues. Right. You have other issues. It's insulting, condescending, and it hurts women. But the whole abortion issue is Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah. You cannot make a defense for legalized abortion that doesn't insult women. I mean, it, it just by its nature, that's what it does. Well, luckily, that woman that I was reading the article from, Ramona Stump, she got counseling. She got help. She found healing, which is good. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, we could talk about this subject forever. I, I, yeah. I'm sitting here thinking about all the things I would like to talk about. But <laughs> the list keeps growing. But, but um, Yeah, that's all the time we have for today. Right. We're done for today. But anyway, you got anything else? First off, please share this episode with everyone you know. This is an important issue. And, of course, the abortion industry is trying to portray a different message. So get this out to all your friends. Please make sure that you also subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform if you like it. And leave a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Tell all your friends. 
Yep. And don't forget when you're paying your bills this month, <laughs> send one to Life Dynamics. Send a check to Life Dynamics. We have a button on the lifedynamics.com forward slash podcast page or in the link to this description on the platform that you're listening. There's a link to the donate page. So yep. we do need your help desperately. We've gone through some bad times over the last year or so. Anyway, we thank you for joining us and we will see you next week. Until then, remember Life Dynamics is not here to put up a good fight. Nope, we're here to win. Because winning is how the killing stops. We'll see you next Thursday. Bye, guys. Bye.